This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. Well, this morning, we're going to begin a new section in the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew as we continue to live out the way of Jesus by listening to the words of Jesus. And last week, we finished this uh, section there at the end of chapter 5 where Jesus corrected six misunderstandings that we have about what God has said. And he did this by uh, confronting how we have taken what God has said and twisted it to say what we want it to say rather than what it actually says. And this morning, he shifts from confronting our misunderstanding of what God has said to confronting our motivation behind obeying what God has said. He, he, he's shifting from the righteousness of our actions to the righteousness of our intentions, from what we do to the why behind what we do. And he does so by taking three spiritual practices, three regular rhythms in the lives of those who faithfully follow Jesus, showing how we can do the right thing for the wrong reason. He's going to show us how our desire when we give, when we pray, and when we fast can be to draw attention to ourselves rather than giving glory to God. And so this morning, Jesus, he's going to confront our desires and our motivations for when you give. That's the title of our sermon this morning, when you give. And so if you haven't already, go ahead and open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be in that opening passage in the first four verses, Matthew chapter 6. And what I want us to see this morning, our big idea, if you're taking notes, why don't you write this down? It's that followers of Jesus give of themselves for the good of others and the glory of God. Right? That is the why behind the what that Jesus wants us to see this morning. That followers of Jesus give of themselves, their entire selves, for the good of others and the glory of God. And Jesus, he, he begins transitioning into this next section of his sermon, this next passage, with a, with a new introduction, so to speak. And, and Jesus, he opens this new section in verse 1 saying, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Now, at first, it almost sounds like Jesus is completely contradicting himself, and, and in the exact same sermon even. If you remember back in chapter 5, he, he had called his followers to be the light of the world, didn't he? And in verse 16, he said to let your light shine before others. But now, now he's warning us not to practice our righteousness before others. Right? So which is it? Do we let the light shine or do we beware and, and not practice in front of others? And what I want us to see here, is, the answer is both. It, it, yes. See, sometimes I think we're prone to hide our faith, aren't we? We're prone to hide our faith and follow Jesus in secret, right? not wanting anyone to know. And what we end up doing is we compartmentalize our lives, don't we? We compartmentalize our faith, creating basically two versions of ourselves, as though we are an actor playing two different parts in the exact same play, constantly changing costumes as we go. We're wearing one costume during the week, right? When we're at work Saturday night when we're out with our friends, and then we do a quick change Sunday morning when we go to church, and we do a quick change after work when we go to be with our small group during the week. And so in chapter 5, Jesus, he was calling us out for this costume change. He was calling us to live out our authentic Christian selves 
at all times in front of all people. He's saying there, there should be no need for costumes and therefore need, no need for changing costumes constantly. See, the, the you that you are around your church family, the you that you are around your small group should be the same you that you are throughout the week, the same you that you are at work, at school, in your community. I was reminded of that this week. Um, Sunday, Jill and the boys and I, we went downtown Arlington Heights for dinner at Arlington El Fresco. And when we came back, uh, we came back to an incredible surprise of the entire driver's side of my car being caved in. It was like the Grand Canyon entered the driver's side of my car. And uh, needless to say, I was a little bit frustrated because my car was just sitting out in front of my house the whole time. Uh, I promise you it wasn't me. I was a mile away. But as frustrating as it was to come home and see that, it was even more frustrating to spend what felt like all day Monday on the phone with the insurance company, driving a wrecked car to the, the, the shop to get it fixed, picking up the rental car. And I remember as I was on one of the 8,000 calls with the insurance company Monday morning, I actually, I went into the room, my bedroom, and I changed into a redemption shirt. And I was joking with Jill about how I needed that reminder it wasn't a costume I put on. It was a reminder because I needed to remind myself of who I am, a follower of Jesus. And I needed to remind myself of who I represent. I represent Jesus as a follower of Jesus. And it was a reminder that I can't be one version of myself on Monday arguing with an insurance agent and then another version of myself in my study on Tuesday for a pastoral counseling session. There can be only one version and there cannot be any costumes. And yet, while we're sometimes prone to hide and compartmentalize our faith, I think there's other times we're prone to show off our faith, aren't we? And flaunt our faith in front of others, strutting around kind of like a peacock, right? Practicing our righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. And that's exactly what some, especially the Pharisees, had been doing. They were, in a sense, putting on a theatrical production they're, they're giving, they're praying, they're fasting. They'd become nothing more than a public performance for others to see. They, they weren't doing this to draw closer to God. They weren't doing this to experience greater intimacy with God, which was the intended reward for such spiritual practices. No, they were doing it to draw attention to themselves in order to be seen by others, to, to draw the applause of others, seeking that, that standing ovation at the end of their performance, at the end of their prayer, people saying, bravo, well done. And so it's important to see here, Jesus isn't contradicting himself. He, he's actually confronting two very different motives in those that follow him. In chapter 5, he's confronting the costume change. And in chapter 6 here, he's confronting the public performance. And so Jesus is calling us to shine our light before others, before all others, and allow others to see you faithfully follow the way of Jesus in the entirety of your life. But let's not miss the why behind the what. Remember, he said back in chapter 5, so that they may see your good works, your righteousness, your faithfulness, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I see our motivation in befriending faithfulness is to give glory to God. Not in order to be seen by others, right? To give glory to God and for God's glory to be seen in you by them drawing your attent their attention, their affection, not to yourself, but drawing it to Jesus. And yet so often in 
we so easily get this wrong, and the reason is because our motivation is wrong, right? Uh, Our fear, it, it drives us to keep those aspects of our faith secret that should be shown to others and shared with others, but also pride drives us to show off those aspects of our faith that God intended to be kept secret. But see, we we want others to know how charitable we are, don't we? We want others to hear how righteous and knowledgeable we are when we pray. We want others to see how spiritual we are when we fast. Right? You ever notice uh, so often when someone takes a fast on social media, what's the very first thing they do? They publicly declare on social media they're fast from social media, don't they? You can't just go away for a week. People might wonder what happened to you. We have to call attention to it. And so what's important to remember, Jesus, he's not confronting the action. He's confronting the intention. And so picture, if you will, picture two people sitting in a coffee shop. Remember when we could go sit in a coffee shop? Those were good days, weren't they? Seems like forever ago. But picture, if you will, back in the day, two people sitting in a coffee shop. And one is driven by fear and wouldn't dare be seen reading their Bible in front of others in public in a coffee shop. And so they they have it in their bag, but they keep it hidden in their bag. The other is driven by pride. And as soon as he sits down, he takes out his Bible, and he does it with that loud thump to make sure everybody knows what that book is, and he's, he's doing the things to draw attention to himself so that everybody knows, hey, look at me, I'm super spiritual, I'm reading my Bible. And, and we saw this a, few, a couple years ago we're on, on, on Instagram, right, where it felt like it was impossible for anyone to complete their morning devotionals, to have spent time alone with God without taking that perfectly lit picture of your well-placed, marked-up Bible with your journal right next to it, your, your, your cup of coffee with just the right amount of cream in it, and, and getting that posted to Instagram. Why? So that others could see you practicing your righteousness. Both miss the mark. Both are self-centered, making the situation all about you. Both are, in some sense, driven by insecurity. Either afraid of what others might think, so you hide your faith, or seeking approval, so you flaunt your faith. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, responding to this paradox, if you will, says in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he says, the better righteousness of the disciples must be a motive which lies beyond itself. He goes on to say, our activity must be visible, right? We we are called to shine our light, but never be done for the sake of making it visible. Does that make sense? We should let our light shine, but not so that others would see us, but so they would see Jesus in us. And so we don't hide our faith. We don't flaunt our faith. No, we are called to live out our faith and let our light shine. So you go to that coffee shop, man, pull out your Bible, read your Bible, but not to draw attention to yourself, but to spend time with God. Do it to spend time with God. Because when we don't, when we do it to draw attention to ourselves, Jesus warns us here, and his warning is very clear. He says that when you make living out your faith nothing more than a public performance for others to see, he says, you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Eugene Peterson, he paraphrases this saying, it might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. 
That's his intro. And then Jesus, he's going to go into this first spiritual discipline of giving. And what we're going to see, like these last few weeks, is he is going to first confront our self-centered motivation for giving, right? Jesus first is going to confront our self-centered motivation for giving here in verse 2. And he says, thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Two interesting things about the, that opening phrase, when you give. The first is that uh, the you there in whom, to whom he's speaking is singular. And why that's important is it, back in verse 1, it was plural. When he says, beware of practicing your righteousness, he was talking to the group, to the plural. But now he, he's speaking uh, to the singular. He's speaking to the individual because this spiritual practice of giving is something that was meant to be between you and God. The other interesting thing is notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say if you give, does he? No, he says what? When you give. He assumes, he expects this spiritual practice of giving to be a regular rhythm in the lives of those who faithfully follow him because it was something commanded by God. And, and not just the regular tithes and offerings, but also charity to those in need. That was to be a mark of his people. And so one example is that farmers were called in their field at harvest time to leave the strip of crops along the outer edge of their field and not harvest those. Those were to be left for the poor. Those were to be left for the sojourner to be able to feed themselves from. Later on then in Deuteronomy 15, it says... If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. goes on to say in verse 10, you shall give to him freely and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you. You shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. God had called his people to be generous with everything they had because everything they had had been given to them by God, a gift given to them not to own but to steward in ways that bring glory to God rather than just comfort and status to themselves. But over time... God's people lost sight of the why behind the what. They lost sight of why God had called them to give, of why he had called them to be generous with their finances. Remember, God's people, they were taken away into exile, after, uh, into Babylon. And after their return, and they rebuilt the temple in a time that we call the, the second uh, temple Judaism, these few hundred years before the birth of Jesus, what they had done is they had begun to replace animal sacrifices with financial sacrifices treating their offering as a way to atone for sin rather than the blood of the sacrifice, as a way to, in a sense, purchase their salvation. In the book of Tobit, a Jewish writing written about 300 years before Jesus, it's written, it is better to give charity than to lay up gold. Then explains why. For charity will save a man from death. It will expiate any sin. I think that mindset of purchasing salvation helps us to better understand what Jesus is going to talk about later in chapter 19 when he says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
because many thought that salvation could simply be purchased by charity. For them, salvation wasn't something you were given. It was something you purchased. You purchased it like buying Cubs tickets. You go online, you pick your section of heaven you want to live in, and you buy your ticket. By the way, Cubs tickets are like 150 bucks right now. Went to go buy tickets for us to go down when we're taking vacation this summer. I think we're going to go see the Chicago Dogs instead of the Chicago Cubs. But now think about, think, think about what we do when we treat yourself. When you treat yourself, what do you do? Right? You want to show off whatever you did, whatever you got, don't you? You want, you want to advertise. You want everyone to know. And so we're like, look at what I did. Look at what I bought. We, we toot our own horn, so to speak. And that's exactly what Jesus says that they were doing. That if you made a large enough charitable contribution, they would sound the trumpets. Definitely metaphorically, maybe even literally. Uh, another Jewish writing, the Sirach, written about 100 years before Jesus, it, it says the assembly will proclaim his acts of charity. If you put a big enough check in the offering, we will bring you up front and we will let everyone know how great and awesome and charitable you are. As Anglican Pastor John Stott says, they turned an act of mercy into an act of vanity. Instead of it being about what God was doing through them, it was about them. And Jesus, he calls them out. He calls them out as as hypocrites. Uh, the, The Greek word there, it means theatrical actor. Right, So we're back to this idea of wearing a costume, but he doesn't call them out for being a hypocrite uh, for what they did. No, he calls them out for why they did what they did. He calls out their motivation. Right? What they did was good. They didn't lie about giving. They actually gave. They were actually being charitable, helping the poor, but their motivation, the why behind the what, turned this charitable giving into nothing more than a public performance. It made this spiritual discipline a spectacle for their own self-promotion. Because what they desired most, it wasn't intimacy with God. It wasn't the approval of God. No, it was the applause and the approval of others. And Jesus responds to this self-centered motivation saying, Truly I say to you, literally saying, Amen, I say to you, speaking with the authority of God as God, saying they have already received their reward. They got what their hearts desired, and that was the applause. That's what they received. They got what they wanted, and they got nothing more. And I wonder, are we, are we really that much different than those whom Jesus is confronting here? Don't we desire recognition for our charity and our service? Think about, um, again, let's go back to those days in the coffee shop. Let's reminisce about that for a little bit. When you're at the coffee shop and uh, you go to leave a tip in the tip jar, what's that one thing you're always looking for before you put the tip in the tip jar? You're looking to make sure someone's watching, aren't you? You want to make sure they watch. Why? Because you want to advertise the tip. Right? If nobody's looking when you put the money in the tip jar, how are they going to know you tipped? You can't hear a dollar bill going into a glass jar. They're not going to know. How are they going to know how generous you are, how this incredible act of generosity, which, by the way, their employer assumes everybody is doing because they pay them a pitiful wage. They're expecting you to give them tips, but that's for another day. Right? Nobody tips when nobody's watching. So we, what do we, we stand there, and you, you wait by the counter with your dollar bill. You're like, it's, it's in, it's out, it's in, it's out. Are they, are they turning? It's kind of like, 
If you ever wave to somebody, like if you're in this section and you see somebody over here and you wave to them before service and you're like, wait, are they, are they looking? Are they not? Right? That's kind of what we do with the tip in the tip jar. And you wait until someone's looking before you put it in. And if nobody's ever going to look, you go to your plan B. You know what plan B is? Get the change out. Remember change? That was another, this is like a history lesson. We're talking about coffee shops and change. You put the change in the tip jar so at least they can hear the clink, clink of your generosity. We want credit. We want recognition for our charity, don't we? We're no different from those Jesus is confronting. We want to advertise our charity for the applause and the approval of others. We're the same hypocrites. We're just sounding a different trumpet, aren't we? We want others to know what we did. We want recognition for our charity, both for our giving and our service to those in need. We give and we serve others with, a, with an expectation of something in return, with a string attached, if you will. We, we desire recognition of the debt that they owe to us, don't we, when we do something. We often serve others so that they can later serve us when we are in need. We can call in the favor when we need to. We, we serve desiring recognition of our name to be known or the name of a loved one. We want our name in the program. We want our name on a plaque on the wall so that people will know how generous we are. To, to show who contributed the money for that stained glass window in a church to know who, who donated that money for that wing of that hospital building. We want our charity and our generosity to be known. And we also want a recognition of our voice, don't we? Thinking that giving gives us a say, that giving grants us a seat at the table, whatever this table is. And if you don't get a say, and if you don't get your way, you're going to threaten to pull your giving, regardless of how big or how small that giving may be. And Jesus is confronting that pride that exists in our heart when we feel this need to advertise our charity or worse, weaponize our charity so that others will know how charitable you are, so that you can hold something over someone else. And if that is your motivation for giving, if it is for your name to be known rather than the name of Jesus, for your voice to be heard rather than the words of Jesus, Jesus says, you may very well receive the reward that you purchased. You may very well receive the applause and the approval of others, but the God who made you will not be applauding. So after confronting our self-centered motivation, we're going to see Jesus transition to provide the proper motivation for giving, right? Jesus is going to provide the proper motivation for giving here in verses 3 and 4. He says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, some of our spiritual practices, like take worship, for example, they are done... Uh, Visibly, they are done corporately, collectively, together with others. But when it comes to giving, when it comes to uh, contributing to the needs of others, both uh, by finances and by service, Jesus is saying that should be done in some form of secrecy, without feeling the need to advertise what you have done to others. And you might be thinking, but if nobody sees me give and no one knows how much I give, how are they going to thank me for giving? They won't. That's kind of the point. Because the reward Jesus promises you can't be purchased from others. It can't be given to you by others. No, the reward given to you is by your heavenly Father who sees everything that you do even in secret. 
And that reward is given as we live out the great commandment, right? Loving God with everything that we have, everything that he has given us, and loving our neighbor, including and especially the the vulnerable, those in need as ourself. The reward comes in the serving. C.S. Lewis in his essay, The Weight of Glory, I think says this beautifully. He says, the proper rewards are not simply tacked on to the activity for which they are given, but are the activity itself in consummation. Our reward as as the hands and feet of Jesus is to see the need relieved, as John Stott says, right? To see the need relieved. It is to see the hungry fed. That is the reward. It is to see the naked clothed. That is the reward. It is to see the sick healed. It is to see the lonely loved, the widow cared for, the oppressed freed, and the lost saved. That is the reward. Amen? And we get to be a part of that. And so as you steward the good gifts God has given you, as you carry out the mission that God has given you, you will experience a greater intimacy with God, a greater depth of God's love for you and for the world. So there's no need to advertise your giving. There's no need to promote your charity, not to anyone, even to yourself. See, when Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, most of us don't even know which is left and right. So when one hand know what the other hand's doing, I think, I think he's going even deeper here in, into our own heart. And I, I think what he's calling us here is, to, is that generosity, it should be so ingrained into our DNA, into who we are as followers of Christ, that, that giving becomes natural, just instinctual, that we give without even thinking about giving. Does that make sense? Your left hand doesn't know what your right hand's doing because it's just doing it. It's, it's, it's muscle memory. You've done it so often, you don't even think about it. It's like an athlete who has practiced their fundamentals over and over and over again. They don't even need to think about that fundamental anymore. Or a musician practicing your chords over and over and over again to the point that your your fingers just know what they're doing. For those of us that have no musical talent anymore, think of of typing, right? Uh, I can't tell you where any letter on the keyboard is if you asked me, but man, these guys do. They got like 10 little brains of their own typing out that. The other nine fingers don't know what the other one's doing. My brain doesn't know what they're doing. But on the same side, please don't hear what Jesus is not saying here. I think we can take what he says and we can make it into something he's not saying. And so a couple things. He's not saying here that we shouldn't track our giving, that you uh, cannot claim your giving on your income taxes as a deduction. Uh, But what he is saying is that a tax deduction should not be your motivation for giving. He is saying that in here. And so just real practical, like if you feel real uneasy about claiming your giving and submitting it as a deduction, do it and then just give your entire tax deduction. I know a great church in Mount Prospect that you could donate that to. Um, Just a suggestion. Again, we want to be helpful. We want to be practical in God's word here. He's not saying don't track your giving. And he's also not saying that you shouldn't feel good about your giving. He's not saying you shouldn't feel good about meeting other, the needs of others. Like I said before, part of the reward is seeing that need met. And so what I want us to see here is that we give because we have the means to meet the need. And our reward is being a part of meeting that need. It is God working in us and through us with what God has given us. Because followers of Jesus give of themselves for the good of others and the glory of God. 
And so I want to share with us, I want to share what we as a church family are doing collectively as the body of Christ. So that if you call redemption your church home, you can see how you can contribute individually as a follower of Christ. And so a couple of things. First is that uh, every month, you may not know this, we set aside 10% of our giving every month, even if our giving hasn't met our expenditures, uh, to a fund that we call Helping Churches Thrive, something we started back at almost the very beginning. And just to let you know, in the last 12 months, we've contributed over $85,000 to the Helping Churches Thrive Fund. And that's gone to, can you guess what that's gone to do? help other churches thrive. We're creative with our names. So we give regularly to Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, where our founding pastor Ryan Hughley and team are at. We give to David Pater in Toulouse, France. He was a former member of Redemption when he was attending TEDS. We help uh, Casa de Oracion, a, a, a converged church in our network. Uh, with They just got a new building recently, but they didn't have the funds uh, for the down payment. So our group of about 10 converged churches, we all chipped in and we took care of a good chunk of their down payment on their new church home. We support our missionaries like Jack and Sharon Mitchell, who are going to be uh, back with us next week from South Texas, and all of our other ministry partners that you can find on the Our Partners page of our website. And while Helping Churches Thrive carries out, helps carry out the Great Commission, we started to feel God calling us to do more in contributing financially to the Great Commandment of loving others with our finances, loving others in our own church family and loving others in our community. And so if you remember, in August of 2019, uh, we shared in, in a series that we called Called to Serve uh, that we had created a new team called the Hands and Feet Team that uh, Sarah and Amrith are a part of. And we began that month setting aside an additional at least 5% of our giving to that fund. So then we went from setting aside 10% to 15% every month. And to be honest, when we started, we didn't really know what we were going to use this for. Um, it kind of felt like, you remember the story of God calling Abraham to leave his home? And he's like, I need you to go somewhere, but I'm not quite going to tell you where just yet. I just need you to trust me. I just need you to be faithful. That's kind of how it felt. And, and our desire was to simply be faithful to where God was leading us. And so in the last year, we've contributed over $56,000 to the Hands and Feet Fund. And, and just in the last year, that's gone to creating our uh, compassion kits. You remember, uh, remember these that we hand out? You can pick one of these up uh, out back. It, it's got uh, supplies uh, for those that you might come across living on the street without a home. It's got a Bible in there. Uh, I think we put some uh, masks in there as well. So you can pick these up. But the idea is don't just pick it up and save it for a rainy day when you might find someone. The idea is that you've been looking and you've been seeing and you've been passing others in your daily life and you've got that name, you've got that face, you've got that place on your heart of someone you want to support, pick up a compassion kit after service on a Sunday and give it to them. Uh, we also ask that everyone who picks up a compassion kit put in a $25 gift card to a grocery store as well. So we, we bought the supplies for that. We give scholarships to our members who are taking missions trips or summer camps. We contributed over $10,000 in benevolence in the last year to our own church family, something that we were in great need of during the pandemic. We've given over $16,000 in the last year to Journeys. Uh, Journeys is an organization that helps support the homeless in our community, and they sponsor uh, homeless shelters in churches uh, throughout the winter months. However, during the pandemic, they shut down that program and started an emergency hotel program. And so every month, we 
donate $1,500 to Journeys, which fully covers three hotel rooms for that month. So three households, rather than sleeping in their car, rather than sleeping on the street or sleeping in a hotel room, thanks to your generosity. We gave $10,000 to four local organizations as a part of Above and Beyond. And you might be thinking like, Pastor Ash, we don't talk about this very often. And that's true, we don't. But what I don't want you to think is I don't want you to think that we're trying to hide this in secret. No, all we're trying to do is not to sound our own trumpet. We're trying to live out what Jesus has called us to do here. But I think we should celebrate this, not by calling attention to what we've done, but by calling attention to what God's done through us. Amen? God's the one that provided all of these finances. We just got to be the conduit that he provided it through. We're not patting ourselves on our back. We're saying, thank you, God. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of meeting that need. That is the reward. And so now we're praying about taking another big step. Remember a couple weeks ago I gave you like a little teaser trailer? It was one of those times where I actually only gave you a little bit of a teaser, not a 15-minute teaser. I want to give you like a little bit more this morning. We've been praying about a couple of things that we want to add to the hands and feet team. One of them is a new ministry that for the time being we're calling The Pantry. Uh, We've been serving at an organization called Breakfast with Baby for the past couple of years, and we've been feeling God call us to start one of our own, just with a bit better name. Uh, Every time we said Breakfast with Baby, people would be like, what's that? Every time we said the pantry, they're like, oh, so like you hand out supplies to people in need in your community? Exactly. Again, the name shouldn't have to be explained. Helping churches thrive, hands and feet, the pantry. So we're getting ready to, to start that. We're also discussing a partnership with Caring Network. You may remember them from above and beyond earlier this year. They're an organization that helps women that are considering an abortion by providing resources that they need in order to give birth to their baby and to help this beautiful life come into existence. And so we're exploring a number of different ways that we could partner with them and possibly even open a, opening a women's clinic here in the northwest suburbs. And those are really big things, aren't they? They're really big things, and so we want to keep talking about these. It's a bit premature to be talking about it, but what we need is we need your prayers right now. That's what we need. We need everybody praying on if this is what we should be pursuing, how we pursue it. Will our entire church family be on board pursuing this? Because to be honest, we can't do the pantry unless we have the people to support it. Um, we can't do either of these without the finances to do it. And so we're also praying about increasing our hands and feet contribution from 5% to 10% every month which means we would be giving away 20% of, every, uh, of our giving each month, effectively a, a double tithe. But yet that's where we feel God leading us, to be increasingly generous. And so here's how you can take all of this and put it into practice. Here's how I think you can begin to faithfully follow the way of Jesus and apply the words of Jesus. And the first is this. It's to give financially, right? Jesus didn't say if you give. He said when you give. He assumes this spiritual practice is a regular rhythm in the lives of those who faithfully follow him. And so we've tried to make this as easy as possible for you. You know, we launched this new app about a month ago, and on the bottom row of options, there's a gift tab. You can set up recurring giving every other week, twice a month, monthly, whatever your rhythm is, right there from the app. You can also do it from the gift tab of our website. It couldn't be any easier. You can also do one-time giving from either the app or the website. Uh, You can continue. uh, If you prefer to give via check, you can drop them in these two black drop boxes, which are locked uh, when you drop it in, and we deposit those, or you can have it mailed into the office. Either way, uh, what we want to invite you 
into this regular rhythm of giving. And so if you're, if you're giving, but you're giving irregularly, and I get some of you have jobs that require it to be irregular, um, but I'd like to invite you into that, take that step of if you're giving financially, to give financially regularly. And if you're not giving, I want to invite you to take that step of beginning to give. And, and one of the responses I get most often is, Pastor Ash, I, I want to be able to give this much, but I, I can't. I can only give this much. And so rather than giving this much, the, the, we give nothing. And so what I tell everybody in financial counseling is, man, just start that rhythm of just $5 a month, picking that number out of the air to establish that rhythm. The hardest step is going from nothing to something. It's a whole lot easier to go from something to something more. And so I invite you into that. And if you're not sure how you can go about doing that, when you fill out the info card, there's a checkbox for financial counseling. You're going to get a link to my schedule the next morning, and we're going to set up some time, and I would love to sit down with you and help you in, in better managing and understanding your finances and making this possible. Number one, give financially. Number two, though, give personally. And here's what I mean by this. Jesus has called us to be charitable, not just with our finances, but with everything that we have, hasn't he? Everything that we have, the breath in our lungs is a gift from God. And so often what others need costs us something even more valuable than our money, doesn't it? It costs us our time, and it costs us a part of ourselves. What people need from us, they need our hands to serve them, don't they? They need our ears to listen to them, our hearts to love them, and sometimes simply just our presence to be with them. And so be praying for the eyes to see those needs around you. Be praying for a heart to feel those needs, and then pray for the courage to go and meet those needs. And then number three is this. Give sacrificially. Give sacrificially. If you're giving, are you giving sacrificially? If you are serving, are you serving sacrificially, or are we trying to do the absolute bare minimum to just get by? And what I need you to know is what sacrificial looks different for each and every one of you. I'm not going to stand up here and spew out a percentage of anything or a number of hours to you. It looks different for everyone. Instead, what I want to do is I want to read you the words of C.S. Lewis from his book, Mere Christianity, who I think helps us see what sacrificial is for each and every one of us. He says, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to the standard of common among those with the same income as our own, then we're probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say that they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charity expenditures exclude them. That's how he defines sacrificial for us. Because followers of Jesus give of themselves for the good of others and the glory of God. Our sacrificial generosity towards the needs of others, though, it, it, when we think about it, it is simply just a reflection of the generosity God has poured out on us, isn't it? The generosity that he's poured out on us in our greatest need, our need for redemption. We were dead in our sins. We were separated from God on a trajectory to spend eternity apart from God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, he made us alive together with Christ. Amen? Not because of anything we've done, but because of everything Christ has done for you. 
And though he was rich, yet for your sake, for our sake, he became poor. So that by his poverty, you and I, we might become rich, given an eternal inheritance kept in heaven for you. And Jesus, he didn't just give you 10% of himself, did he? No, Jesus gave us his all. He gave us his life, all for our good and for God's glory. And that's what we remember, and that's what we celebrate when we come to the Lord's table and we partake in the Lord's Supper. And so as we've done each week since we've brought back communion, I'm going to give you a moment of of silent prayer to reflect on that generosity that God has shown you, the ways in which God has blessed you. And then I'm going to pray over us. And afterwards, I'm going to lead us in taking communion together. Father, I think we are quick to forget the ways in which you have blessed us and quick to remember the challenges and the trials that we face on a daily basis. And so, Father, I pray this morning that your spirit would stir and that you would remind us of all the ways that you have loved us, that you are, as we so often sing, a good, good Father, that you are a generous giver. And, Father, I pray that our motivations, wherever they would be, that they have been confronted this morning and that we would see Jesus pointing to a pure and truer motive that we don't give in order to get, we give in order to give. We give of what you have given us. We give in response to what you have given us. Not just the roof over our head, not just the food in our cupboards, not just the clothes on our back, but our very salvation is the greatest gift. A gift given, not earned, not deserved, not purchased. We could never give enough to earn. We could never serve enough to earn. We could never love enough to earn. But you have freely given. By grace, we have been saved. And for that, we thank you. And Father, I pray that we would be a people marked by that grace in our grace and generosity to others. Father, I pray we would be a people marked by love, not just with our words, but with everything that we have. Father, remind us of that generosity that we see when we come to the cross as we come to the table this morning. That we remember a love poured out for us. Father, it's that love that we give thanks for in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.